Networking Issues coming to you live from the heart of Manhattan, Rockefeller Center, New York City. Newsstand Studios joined as usual with John behind me. How you doing, John? Doing great, thanks. Yeah? 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 Yeah. yeah. You've, uh, your restaurant uh, temperance there in the, uh, in the holiday spirit? Yeah, it's been very slow, though, I'll uh-huh. say. Like, Saturday was probably the slowest service I've ever had in my career working in restaurants. I wanted to gouge my eyeballs out. Yeah. And yeah. I think maybe people don't realize this who aren't in the industry. Uh, it's not just the money. We hate being bored. Yeah. You know? Uh, it <laughs> the sucks. kitchen's clean. Everything was prepped. Like, there's nothing else <laughs> yeah. to do. Yeah. yeah. You know what they say. If you have time to lean, you, you're going to die. Yeah. Uh, rocking the panels, we have Joe Hazen. How you doing? I'm doing very well, man. Good to see everyone. Packed house. Yeah. 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 Uh, over there in California, we are we are hammerless. We have no Nastasia today because she's in transit. But I believe we have uh, Mr. Molecules. Uh, Jack, you there? Yes, I am. What's good? How, How you doing? doing? Everything good? Yeah, you know, I'm getting ready to come east for the holidays, so. You, uh, you sound super get my... stoked. You sound just psyched well, to know. come out. Of, you know, it's 60 degrees out here now. Do you know that the, the really? magnolia, yeah, the magnolias, I mean, it's windy and rainy, but the magnolia in my, uh, wow, we're going to have wow. a terrible spring. So come now, because our spring is hosed. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, awesome. All right. Yeah. Uh, in the upper, upper left, 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 we have uh, Quinn. How you doing? Hey, I'm good. The prophecy of the creamy has been fulfilled. Yeah, well, you know, you're uh, you're you're jumping the gun. I got to introduce him. But in the uh, in the studio today, we have we're very uh, psyched to have after what a year and a half we've been trying to get you on the show about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Chris Young, Chris Young, everybody, uh, you know, X everything. We'll talk about it in a minute. But the original idea, Chris, uh, you say hello. Hello, good yeah. to be here, Dave. Yeah, was to have you on to talk about the uh, the creamy because you did an early. First look uh, yeah, at the, the creamy. Yeah, the Ninja Creamy review. First look at yeah. that, right. And let me ask you this. Before we go into that, so normally we're just going to shoot the breeze for a little while about yeah, yeah. non-related stuff, but could you imagine a worse product name than Creamy? You'd have to work at it, I think. Yeah. yeah it, it ranks right up there with the Ford Pro. It, 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 it makes me slightly uncomfortable. And the yeah. number of times I had to say that word in the YouTube video Yeah. Was was awkward. I felt yeah. like I needed to be on some kind of registry after saying it that many times. You should like hire someone with a really smooth voice and just be like creamy, like the, the entire time creamy. Back to the probe. You know that they, they literally, literally, this was and for people who aren't old enough, that was a Ford, the, the probe, and literally one of the commercials was like some exec saying nothing's hotter than a hot new probe, and I was like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> whoa, dude. That was a formative childhood experience yeah, for yeah. you. Yeah, you got you to chill, chill on that on that probe talk, my man. Same with the creamy, gross. Uh, it it's it's unpleasant. Yeah, I mean, it's not a nice word in the English language. No, I mean like you can use it to describe like uh, a soup or something, but not like as a standalone thing. I mean, I kind of get what they're going. This thing's for making ice cream. I mean, it does other things, of course. But yeah. so I, I yeah, sort so of does the Paco Jet. Uh, I sort of see the logic, but. There's so many better words. Yeah. You know, this was almost certainly a marketing agency that came up with this, right? Um, Not a very good one. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, for what it is, and we're going to talk about it later, I'm sure ad nauseum, but we got to get to other stuff first. But so the creamy, for those of you that don't know what we're talking about, is the $300? Uh, I think it's... uh, 
two fifty, often on sale around two hundred, but I think two ninety nine is the retail. Oh yeah, but if you can get it for two, that's a substantial discount, two fifty, two hundred. That's a lot. Yeah, no, and they they discount pretty regularly. I think I I looked because people ask me. I think I paid two hundred when I bought it on Amazon. Right. So yeah, PacoJet, who is the original person, these Swiss weasels who came up with this idea of you know. Uh, well, they bought the they bought the idea from an inventor, right? Right, right. But they they were the company. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That made yeah. this. That, you know, where you feed a blade at a very measured rate into a completely frozen block and create ice cream texture aluminum. That's yeah. the theory. Yep. Yeah. Of operation. Patent runs out. Yep. And Shark Ninja yep. is like, our blender sucks. Let's try to make this other thing. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not though. I hate that blender. I mean, it's not that I hate it. It's just, I don't like it. it. Let me put it this way. When I see one and they're like, this is the blender you're using. I'm like, oh really? It's not a bad blender. It just doesn't do what I want to do. We need to come back to Shark Ninja after this because I agree with you, and yet they have changed. I have, their vacuum, I have one of their vacuum cleaners. I think it's product to product. Yeah. I don't like – maybe the blender's better. Nothing irritates me. Don't, isn't, the, isn't theirs the blender where you have to put the pitcher down one specific way for the thing to work? I don't have their blender, so I, I, I actually why can't would comment. Because oh, why would I? I have a Vitamix. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't yeah. need anything else and. and you know, that's what I've used in the restaurants. And I, and I have the old school Vitamix with of just the knobs. Of course you do. Of course you do. Nobody needs a digital interface on your no, blender. No, 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 no. And I don't want, a, no. And I don't want my blender recognizing anything. Don't recognize my picture. <laughs> I know the picture I put on my. Your blender has DRM. <laughs> I know it. It's the worst. Comes with a subscription. So like literally I'm redoing the liquid intelligence and I'm still, you know, even 10 years later, I'm like, get the Vitamix. Yeah. I'm like, don't get the Blendtec. It's a, got a fine motor. I don't like the picture. I don't like the interface. Like the, the, the Blendtec is a look and the Pantheon of blenders. The Blendtec is a completely reasonable blender, optimized for the pro market, the smoothie market, where smoothie they just want market. they just want somebody running programs. That's right. The Vitamix is the workhorse of kitchens, and to be honest, Waring makes a completely reasonable one too. You yeah. could quibble. Okay. Everything else sucks. Yeah. Well, so for instance, like uh, uh, I was using a, a vacuum blender, right? So like uh, a, a vacuum blender. Yeah, yeah, as you do. Yeah, well, you know, so vacuum blending is the new thing among. So what's cool to me is is that like a lot of new technology that is important to me, it actually comes by way of people who have health theories that I don't ascribe to. Mm-hmm. Right. One of them is is that you know oxidation is going to kill all the vitamins in your in your food, and so you need to remove the oxygen from the blender, but it has other good benefits from a cook's perspective. I mean, yeah, not aerating your mix. I, I, I get the logic. Yeah. So, like, I'm always looking for people who believe things that I don't believe who might make a piece of equipment that I would enjoy. Mm-hmm. So, this company, Void, makes a, a pitcher that thankfully fits on my on my Vitamix, right? So, I can okay. use a vacuum pitcher on my Vitamix. Unfortunately, you have to swap the rubber. Oh, so you basically pull a vacuum on it first and then blend That's it. That's right. It's really just a lid. Okay. And, and a decent bearing. So, like, I've heard that the new Vitamix bearings are actually vacuum tight and that you can build your own lid. I attempted it back at WD-50 in the early aughts and those bearings, especially after what Wiley was doing to those things, Mm -hmm. those bearings were not vacuum tight. And so you'd see oil and filth and and, and and getting sucked yeah, up Yeah, no, the, I, 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 the bearing. You don't even need to explain yeah, what's yeah, going yeah. on. The bearing grease. Yeah, yeah. Mm, that's that's the secret <laughs> sauce. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because it's half anchovy <laughs> grease and half packing grease. Anyway, so like, point being like, uh, so I still, you know, I was re- rewriting the thing, and I had to write in it, you know, that yeah, I still use just a Vitamix. I wouldn't recommend mm. any other blender. However, you have to be careful because even Vitamix now, they have all of these blenders with all these programs and all of these things where they recognize what picture you're using. And just, no, two 
tooth oh, and they've got, and they've got reduced cost ones to hit a Costco target, right? Like the one in Costco is is cheaper because that's what you have to do to get into Costco, but it's not I'm as not good. A, I haven't used it, but like uh, it's castrated the, a little bit. The, the nice thing about uh, the Vitamix, and here's the other thing I had to write about because like uh, so the, this company Void, I used their pitcher. They also sent me one of their bases, and it's powerful enough. That's not the thing. No low end, no low end. People don't. Think about they're like they only look at the top end speed of a right. blender, but a good kitchen blender needs a decent mixing low end. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I actually spent uh, some time with an engineer at a company I won't name who engineers blenders, and he showed me the torture test for a blender because it's the hardest thing on the motor is really low speed grinding peanuts for hours and hours. Oh, like, yeah. He's like, that will kill a blender faster than anything because the motor's not operating anywhere near its peak efficiency. Oh, yes, yeah, terrible. So it's getting overheated and yeah. you're putting it under a lot of load. This this actually bears talking about, and because I'll say this, if you actually talk to the Vitamix people or to whoever your blender person was, what they really want you to do is ramp the speed up to infinity as fast as possible and then flick it into full high because it's actually most efficient at cooling itself when it's yes. screaming like a demon. Because it's got to pull the, the, the air through and it's using a fan blade attached to the same spindle so they don't have independent cooling. So, yeah, that is what they want to do, which is why the low and slow. Yeah, worst. Uh, yeah, awful. especially if it's bogging. If it's if it's super, anytime it's bogging down, it's hurting. But if you're bogging it down at a lower speed, that's toast. Bogging, you're talking like air bubble cavitating no, the blades like, or free spending. Uh, no, oh no, 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 I mean like like literally like hogging into it. Like oh yeah, okay. Like yeah. like like so like I used to do that with. Uh, we used to uh, back at the French Culinary Institute. We, like we would do these events where we had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, and we they would be like, "We're doing nut butter." I'm like. Okay, and so like you know, we just line up all the all the Vitamixes, and boom, we put them in hotel pans and just start pouring LN into the hotel pans to to like cool them as they were going yeah. because they would be popping like flies. Because there's a thermal, by the way, if you overheat your Vitamix, there's a thermal in it that cuts, yeah. comes back in. But no one wants to wait around for their freaking blender to come back to life. Uh, you should obviously mod it with you know a GPU fan or something like that. <laughs> Liquid cooled Vitamix. That's the thing. We're like, <laughs> That's we're the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Liquid There's a huge Vitamix. market for it. Yeah, yeah. They're all three of us. <laughs> yeah. That's another thing. People are like, why don't you build this? Because only three people want it. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. I, I, I very much know what you mean. Yeah. 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 I need at least four people to want it. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a special market. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, you know, Booker and Dax's motto is is that like uh, we're just gonna make it a little bit better. We're going to do a lot of work. We're going to make it a little bit better. Anyway, like marginally better. That was the cocktail cube. Remember that, John? Yep. Like makes every cocktail you make a little bit better. You could live without it. Marginal results, yeah. Ma- yeah, yeah. Marginal <laughs> results for, for, for 10 times the price. Yes. Well, no, but the cocktail cube was actually pretty cheap. Like, it was, you know, yeah. I use it, but like it's like, a, it's like a repeatable but marginal improvement. That's my... I don't know what this is. What is this? Oh, so like the, like uh, years ago, uh, I you know, I... Was it was brought to my attention? People said that you get better texture in a shaken cocktail when you use a, a big, like two and a quarter or two inch ice cube instead mm-hmm. of small stuff. And I was like, "Man, that's garbage." Yeah, you know, I don't believe you. And uh, I ran the test, and sure, sure enough, it's true. But it's just the shape of the. It's just having something big yeah. in the shaker makes the. We don't. I don't know why, but the, my theory is is that the it makes it. Um, zip around in the tin and it like whips more air into it so the little balls don't the little like like cat toys don't do mm. anything you just want a big object in there and you also want it to weigh roughly what ice weighs mm-hmm. otherwise it's not going to work right it's not going to feel right it's not going to work right so i patented it so now you can buy this well you can't because i don't sell it anymore but this fake ice cube that has the same weight uh 
you know, as same density as ice. Well, you can keep this in like the freezer and then throw it in. Or? Oh no, it doesn't chill. That's the other thing people don't understand. No, it's like you throw in crappy ice. Okay. And this, so like the the reason it came about was because I was going to events and I would order in advance of the event big ice cubes so that I could shake with them. Mm-hmm. First of all, never do shaking drinks at an event. It's just dumb. Uh, you know what I mean? It's just dumb. It's dumb. It's like it's like when you're doing cater. What's the worst thing to do at a catering? What's the worst? Anything a la minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm doing I'm doing omelets at a catering event for a thousand. What are you dumb? You know what I mean? Like, just don't choose that. You know what I mean? It's a shaking cocktails or similar kind of sitch. But so anyway, so I was like, the ice they're giving me is garbage, so I can't get the right texture. So I invented this thing so that I could just have something in my bag that would mimic the texture of good ice cube with the crappy ice they had it in. Got it. Thing. Yeah. All of those things, like those things where you, they, the chilling things don't work because, you know, melting ice is amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, from a, from a uh, thermal transfer yeah. standpoint, it's just fantastic. Hard, hard, hard to beat. Yeah. Uh, all right. So this is the section on the show, by the way, where we kind of almost skip past it, where we, does anyone have any interesting food, uh, food experiences or, or semi-related experiences of the week? Anything? I went to Coloman the other weekend, which was very, really excellent spot run by Marcus Glocker. I was there on Friday night, and it was superb. Right, yeah. delicious. Yeah. I, I am a fan of a, of a solid schnitzel, and when somebody makes the point of calling it a, a, a Viennese style, they know what they're doing. Yep, it was great. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Hi, highly recommend. Yeah. I also like a schnitzel. Yeah? Yeah. But really, do you like yours Vien- do you like yours puffed or not puffed? Uh, I like a little bit of puff, but yeah. the puff is the kind of crust lifting off, not... Well, so like first of all, like uh, I'm huge. I like like a uh, like standard like kind of like bread slash cracker crumb schnitzel mm, stuff. Not yeah. like any sort of modern or like, like panko or yeah. No, yeah, no, no oh that's god, not, yeah, tastes good. Yeah, not a schnitzel. Not schnitzel. Not schnitzel. No, no. Yeah. I'm, I'm in agreement. Uh, and I have to say, um, do, do you like? Are you guys purists on what it's fried in or no? No, I don't think I'd go. I, I don't think I'd go Paris. I think that's an area where I'd I'd, I'd probably use clarified butter, and yeah. I might be tempted to throw a little pork fat in there. Clary butter is nice. Yeah, mm, expensive. Nice. Yeah, but like uh, I don't mind when I, sh- I like it. Uh, I don't want my schnitzel shattering. I want just the right texture on the schnitzel breading. But I love it. Big, big fill your plate schnitzel. Yep. Yeah. I think that would be my my one criticism. It was a nice size portion, but I like sort of like the yeah, obscene. It's agreed. larger than your plate. Yeah, on a lemon to squeeze over Thin it. Thin as heck. Some yeah. nice muslin over the lemon. Yeah, and and, 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 a, and a little yes. bit of, a little bit of lingonberry jam. Yeah. Oh, you know, um, so like uh, what kind of accompaniment? I really like like a Jaeger schnitzel, like a little mushroom gravy with it. You like that oh. stuff? Uh, yeah, I can I can get on board with that. I think. To me, I almost you want a little potato. I, I, potato I like salad. a little potato salad. I like the the German cucumber salad. But you know, mm. I lived in Germany as an exchange yeah. student, so that that that's kind of a nostalgia thing for me. Yeah, schnitzel. Yeah, Dave. This place also was the place I texted you that had the full portfolio of those eau de vies. Oh, the, the uh, and yeah. all that stuff. Oh and, yeah. Oh, I mean, his name just went out of my head. I can't remember his name. Oh his gosh, name. he he sells through Skernick. Yes, I like a little horseradish with mine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know who I love? Fresh, fresh grated or creamed. None. I like the cream, the Austrian style. Mm. Do you know that I raised a son who doesn't like horseradish? The hell's wrong with me? I was going to say, where did you go wrong in life? Uh, many places, Chris. <laughs> Hans Riestabauer. Ah, Riestabauer. Yeah, good products. Yeah, you're like, Carrot O de V. Who needs Carrot O de V? Turns out you do. Yep. Turns out it's you. Uh, Jack, you had some? What do you got? Uh, yes, Daz and I went to this Korean place called Liga that does um, like 
oxbone soup. It was very, very, very good. So anybody in the L.A. area, I highly recommend that. What was it called again? I'm a West Coaster, so I need to know. Okay. Oh, oh, Liga. Liga. L-L-E-E-G-A. Yeah, Liga. What, what, fantastic. What part of town is that in? Uh, Korea Town. Okay. Mm. All right. Always always like to have another option there. Yeah. Can't, can't yeah. get into parks anymore. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so no, truly. Did I do anything? I made another acid-adjust... Uh, got, We've got to come up with a term for these fake key lime pies, these non-key lime key lime pies. But I made another one. Cranberry this time. Real good. Real good. I cheated. I added a little bit of red food coloring. Does that make me a terrible person or a smart person? Well, bit. you were, you were going to do that with the, with, with, the uh, with the pomegranate too, weren't you? Yeah, pomegranate came out gray. Nobody wants gray. Came out gray? Well, like I was just using pomegranate. So the, the theory of operation here is, is you adjust the juice. You don't use lime juice at all, and you adjust the acidity of whatever juice you use up to key lime, which is not six. It's closer to seven. And then you would account for any extra sugar. Pomegranate has a bunch of sugar. Cranberry doesn't. Has some, but not as much as pomegranate. Mm-hmm. And so then you make your key lime pie that way. So usually when I'm doing it, I go, like, you know how, so per can of sweetened condensed milk, like a lot of key lime pie recipes are a two-yolk recipe. Mm-hmm. I prefer a three-yolk recipe because it allows me to still get a good set when I use a little more juice. Does that make sense? Because like, especially if you have something like pomegranate that has more sugar in it, if you want to add the same amount of actual juice and then sugar, you're adding more sugar to it, so you need to add even more acid. So I like, look like a little extra yolk in there. That's all I'm going to say. I'm a three-yolk fella. All right. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so I did cranberry this time. Real good. This is a great technique. I forget who wrote in about it, but, like, they deserve some sort of medal or prize for best idea of the year. Because, like, I've done, I've done passion fruit. I've done pomegranate. I've done cranberry, and they all, everyone loves it. One thing I'll say this, about this, your standard key lime pie recipe, I guarantee you, whoever writes them is lying, I guarantee you, for, if you look up Joe Stonecrab's recipe, there's no salt in the mix. You know they add salt. <laughs> you know they add salt. What kind of moron doesn't add salt? You know what I'm saying? I know some French chefs who would disagree, but you know. Like I said, what kind of moron doesn't add salt? <laughs> You know what I mean? Here you go there. <laughs> Zing. No, but, uh, but you know, come on. The, the, the French salt their creme anglaise. They're not dumb. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's one of those things that I think the, the, they're like, you know, we're not, we're not going to tell them about the salt. We're just going to add it. I'm, I'm just not going to get involved into an international incident here over salted, not salted. But you, well, come on. Would you make a pie filling without salt? Personally, no. I, yeah. like, I like some salt. Yes, of course. Uh, because that's the way it my, was. My kidneys work. Yeah. It's intended to, to do that. I mean, if you can't have the salt, great, fine. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, come on, dude. Also, like, graham cracker crust needs a little salt. Uh, you know, if, if you use unsalted butter, which everyone says you should. But I don't. I've switched to salted butter. Me too. <laughs> it's better. Hey, hey, guess what, people? They add the right amount of salt to the butter. It's delicious. It tastes really good. Here's another secret. Just buy fresh salted butter. Everyone's like, oh, salted butter. Salt is there to, 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 to you know, hide the spoilage. No, I don't buy spoiled butter. I just buy good salted butter. Suck it. You know what I mean? Uh, look, you, you, you've somehow convinced a very large fraction of the American population that salt is in, in evil. You know, and, and we will eventually recover from this in the way we're sort of coming back from, hey, maybe this low fat wasn't such a good idea. But, you know, it'll take 20 years. Yeah. So, well, some people can't have salt. Yeah. But that's like 2% of the population. Right, and they shouldn't. Right. But if, if you're that person, you know it. 
So don't eat salt. You should know. You would hope. Uh, you would hope for their sake that they do. Uh, anyways, so uh, the other thing I did that she did was I did add some citrus zest to it, even though it was not a citrus pie. I added some zest. It's being fancy that way. I love zest. A little little green zest, you know, contrast nicely with the yeah. uh, the, the red. It's it's very Christmas yeah. of you, very festive. I uh, oh my god, I go through so much zest when I do Christmas cookies. So much zest. It's like I'm just like microplanning. Like I don't I don't need I don't eat this many oranges and lemons normally. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I want to believe your apartment's like filled with citrus trees, and you know that's your other hobby. <laughs> don't I wish? Imagine you're hand pollinating the flowers I mean, every, like, every I, winter. I would have to have only grow lights because we live on the fourth floor in a. 20-story building, and we get about as much light as we get here in the studio. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, uh, you know who used to grow, like, uh, hothouse uh, citrus is uh, Alex and Aki. I don't know if they still do it, but they had, like, a bunch of yuzu and, I think, some sudachi trees that they would bring in and out. This is, like, in Pennsylvania, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's, they, have, they have, like, their landed gentry. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Mm. Must be nice. Must Wait. be nice. Yeah. Well, you live in Seattle, and Seattle is like like uh, you could grow genius like small fruit and plums and whatnot. Your plums in Seattle, like on the street, street plums are good in Seattle. No, we have we have we have great fruit in Washington State. It's you know it makes up for a lot. There's other things that are not so great, but the fruit like is what? Good. Uh, tomatoes. I mean, yeah. Ugh, okay, there's on. always somebody who's like, oh, I grow perfect tomatoes. Like, yeah, whatever. No, but they're tomato. No, they don't. Um, yeah. Corn, mediocre. Ah, uh, all right. You know these 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 are these are. Great things. But mushrooms and, and fruit, we do that well. Oh, yeah. Mushrooms. Although, uh, you ever met Paul Stamets? No. No, me neither. Uh, if, uh, it's not true. I did a, a lecture series he was doing once and said hello. He will not remember it. Um, if you have any questions for Chris Callman, live to 917-410-1507. That's 917-410-1507 if you're listening on Patreon. And if you're not listening on Patreon, how do you start listening on Patreon, John? Patreon.com slash cooking issues. Go check it out. There's a bunch of different levels of membership. You get perks at uh, all the levels. You get discounts at Kitchen Arts and Letters, discounts with other people that we work with. Um, yeah, just uh, just join access to the video feed, um, pay- Discord, just just great stuff. So check it out. Patreon.com slash cooking issues. Speaking of Patreon, folk, uh, don't Patreon get a discount from the Toronto Panettone Corporation? Yes. Well, the people living in the Tor- the greater Toronto area for right now until he ramps up operations. But yeah, he sent oh, us. Pick up only? No, no. He's got, he does lo- local delivery for now. This oh. is his first year like with his packaging and everything like that. He's uh, stepping up his operations. Right. So uh, he has sent us this. Now, why don't you describe where, uh, Chris, you like Panettone? I do like Panettone. What about, what about you, Joe? Love it. All right. So we're going to taste this. This is, the, this is the one that was sent specially to cooking issues. Do by, we have uh, salted Trump. butter for it? You butter your Panettone? Let me ask you this. I've been known to, to toast it and put a little salted butter on it. I don't mind it. toasted Panettone. Yeah. You know what uh, I really like, though, for like kind of like toasting is uh, the um, slightly, well, it's a completely different product, but the, the Pandoro. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're yeah, good. Yeah. They're good toasted. Do you like fried, like like pan-fried pound cake as much as I do? I like, don't think I've ever pan-fried oh, a pound yeah, cake. Oh, my God. Are we talking like, we're talking like proper Sara Lee pound cake, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, butter in the butter I'm, in the pan. I am, I am I am fairly confident I could get on board with that. I think it's I could get really on that train. good. Anything in that shape can be fried. Scrapple, uh, pound cake. Oh, it smells delicious. That, that is a good looking pan of yeah, right? So uh, let me let me see it. Hold it up to the camera. Up. Well, I don't know where the camera is. So I don't know whether you're holding it up to it or not. I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> so what what flavor is this? Uh, it says classic on the bag. So mm, mm, mm. yeah, classic. All right. Candied orange peel, raisins, white chocolate. Seem to be 
distinguishing things there. All right. So why don't you cut this open while I talk to Chris about other stuff, and then we'll, we'll, we'll taste that. But if you were a Patreon member, you could get a discount on that. But if you're not, you can, you know, you can go— uh, Listen to us eat it. Yeah, yeah, listen to us eat it. Yeah, we're going to have some uh, anti-ASMR uh, eating stuff. Um, although, uh, I'll say, Chris, we a friend of ours was on the air in, in the old network and came on and made so many mouth noises that uh, one of our listeners threatened his life. Who was this? Uh, Paul Adams from uh, America's Test Kitchen. Yeah, he purposely made mouth noises. And so the, the listener called him a sociopath and threatened his life. Yeah. I mean, it seems like both of them have problems. Is there a pre-existing incident between those two? I mean, I did not ask, although that's possible. I mean, I, I kind of get it. The mouth noises, but like, it's a podcast. You can turn it off. I guess that's true. All right, let's uh, let's tear. You are in control of your life. Yeah, you you control you. All right, so listen. I'm trying to figure out what order we're going to do everything in while we're waiting. Pass this down. Oh, all right. Well, I'm going to pass this down. We'll pass. So, Chris, let's do let's do your current business last. That way, we can spend all the rest of the time on. It. Sound good? That's fine. Okay. Uh, you want? Should we do a quick overview of uh, Chris Young's life while we're while we're? You want to do that? You want me to do it? I don't know. Do you want? Well, it depends on how fast you want to. Yeah, blaze, blaze. You want to blaze through, or do you want me to tell you what you, your life? Ask, ask me a question. Right, so I'll do, I, I'll, fir I'll I first met you in uh, in the early, uh, early, early aughts when you were yeah, still at Fat Duck. Harold connected. Yeah, Harold McGee. So you were. What was your title there? Research chief. Uh, head development chef. Head development chef. And so you know, like all, all those, like you know, famous like Sounds of the Sea and all that stuff. You were involved in all of that, McGill, right? Or you were around it, that it, time? I was around that time. Kyle Con uh, Connaughton, who now runs the amazing restaurant uh, uh, Single Thread, he was actually the lead on Sounds of the Sea. But Hot and Cold Tea. Oh, that, um, yeah, famous. Bunch one. Of other ones. Yeah. yeah, you know yeah. that Johnny Azini made me build a, a special syringe to do a up down hot cold prep for him based on that. I mean, it it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, you would do that. Yeah, and that you would do that kind of thing. Well, you know, that was my job at the time. That's right. Um. Anyway, so then after you uh, after you deduct, you mm. unduct, you uh, I don't know, I don't know if you, anyone's heard of this cookbook, yeah, Modernist Cuisine. Uh, doorstop. Have you heard of this thing? Unfamiliar. Unfamiliar with it? Yeah. So when uh, Nathan said, I'm going to do this, you were, he, you know, he, I think he approached you at the Fat yeah, Duck, right? I'll, I'll, do the, I'll, I'll do the quick run through here All just right. to, to, to make this easy. Yeah. So I was at the Fat Duck for five-ish years, a little over, depending on exactly when I count, because I was involved in writing the book um, after I left. But <clears throat> Uh, so yeah, did did the fat duck, um, and Nathan was a friend. We had a, I was from Seattle. Uh, Nathan had been a guest of the fat duck. I remember. I think I told him a theory he was peddling on eGull. It was a bunch of garbage, and we struck up a friendship. So I sent him a courtesy email when I was leaving the fat duck, saying, "Hey, new 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 email address if you want to stay in touch going forward." And he sent me an email saying, "Hey, crazy idea. Why don't you come write a book with me?" And like. I had the hardship interview. I spent the weekend on his boat and, you know, went to El Bui together. And we, we basically put together the outline that became the, that book. And I think the plan was it was going to be a year, year and a half project. You know, five years later, yeah. high watermark, I think we had 38 people working on that book. And so, you know, I did that. Question. No matter how big your boat is, his boat's always a little bit bigger. Am I right? It's a pretty big boat. <laughs> So yeah, we, It was very nice. Yeah. Were you on that boat with him when they were doing the, I forget, it was some stupid expensive wine in the blender? Um, he did do it on that trip. I don't know if that was the first time, but yeah, no, he had, um, who was the winemaker? Um, 
famous Spanish winemaker whose name is escaping me, but you know, Nathan brought out the blender, brought out his wine, blended it, served it to him. And I just remember this winemaker getting on his phone and screaming in Spanish, blender, blender, you know, just uh, thought it was the coolest thing. Um, so yeah, that was, that was, I think the first time I saw that little party trick. Yeah. Yeah. Do you still believe that there is no difference that steam combi confit with no fat is identical to fat confit? I think you need to have fat on the surface of the meat. But if I steam it and have a, a anointed in a layer of fat, I think that's largely – I don't think you'd be able to pick out a difference in a triangle test. This is the kind of thing where you're going to get people having violent reactions. But my answer is like, well, do a triangle test and, and, and settle it. We did one uh, for Modernist, and you know nobody could pick up a difference. And you can sit there and say, well, your palate is shit, and Nathan's palate is shit. But it's like a bunch of us tried. And, yeah. You know, I'm just asking whether you still. I, I still, I still believe it um, because I don't ascribe magical properties like uh, Alice Waters does to confit. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, old school confit duck is so delicious. I don't care whether it's magic or not. Delicious product. I don't. You can maybe make it other ways, but it's delicious product. I mean, I it is magically I, tasting. I, th I think it's delicious. I think crisp. Like, look, I would. Uh, this is the time of year when I would love some duck confit. Do but you prefer modern undersalted confit or no, old school? No, I like old school. Yeah, come on. You know like, why? Tastes good. It tastes because salt. We've yeah, covered this. Salt, salt is delicious. Salt. Salted butter, salted confit. Yeah, it's not supposed to be hyper juicy. It's supposed to be confit. I don't know if people realize that like not everything has to be the same thing. Not all the things have to be no, the same is, thing. No, it is that um, I don't want it super juicy. Right. Right. I want some chew to it. Yeah. Ding. Uh, the other one that I wish that I could replicate, I wish I had remembered when I went to go see you guys at the, at the lab for that dinner is the gooey duck was nuts. Had you not had gooey duck before? Was that the first oh, time? Oh, I had a bunch of times, but not cooked that way. Not yeah. made into pasta and, like, put in a CVAP. Yeah. It was real good. I'd only had it— I mean, so good you missed your flight over it, as I recall. Oh, jeez. That's true. <laughs> I, like, uh, every time that I've I ever— you slept at the airport. I oh, did. wow. Oh, man. If you've never slept at SeaTac, um, <laughs> the, um, the— Don't. Just don't do it. Uh, I was actually there in time, but you're, you're silly— your silly little mind, whatever. I mean, you built it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so the, most of the time, I've had gooey duck is just the thing where you know you you you, you quick blanch it, rip off the condom, mm -hmm. and then slice it real thin. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? But you know what? What was your procedure on that again? I don't even remember how that was prepared. At that you didn't dinner, think it was, it was real good. I mean, I know it was cooked. Um, it was either done in the CVAP or it was done sous vide. Either way can work. But it was it was cooked. Really low and slow for a fairly long time, so that we could sheet it out, and you could, you could. It was much more pliable, and you could yeah. search it. But not mushy. No, no. But there, you know, it's not pure. It's not pure collagen, right? So you're never going to fully lose that that snap yeah. when you cook it down. I'm going to go ahead and say this tastes good. Yeah, this is, this is delicious. delicious. Yeah. Yeah. Trying not to chew into the microphone, but this is tasty. I'd John, like can right? you uh, can, listen? You know what? Uh, we'd be remiss. Can you hold up to the camera for the Patreon folk? The everyone, all people care about. They don't, people don't even actually care how a panettone tastes now. They just want to see the crumb on Instagram. That's how right. stupid we've become as a culture. That's how dumb we are. That we we don't even use our mouths anymore. We just use the, our phone cameras. Visual, yeah. You know what I mean? So put that up on the on the what's it called? All right. So then. Uh, you and like, you know, well, basically you and, and then who else went from modernist to uh chef? So you, Grant, yeah, so, uh, Grant Crilly, who was a uh, development chef at modernist, Ryan Matthew Smith, who was the principal photographer for modernist cuisine. Three of us basically said, Hey, you know, this is 2012, not 2008 anymore. Um, you know, we don't really want to do, uh, an, another big book and 
you know, what people don't really remember now is that in 2008, when we started Modernist Cuisine, like blogging was kind of a new thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, YouTube wasn't a thing yet. And all of a sudden by 2012, when the book was done and we'd finished the, the, the press tours, you know, a couple guys with a, a Canon uh, 5D Mark II could create some pretty cool cooking videos, throw them up on YouTube for free and build an audience. So we started Chef Steps uh, in 2012. Back one second. Why would Nathan never say how much the book costs? What was the reason to not say what the book costs? To this day, still won't say what the book costs. You know, I don't really know what the answer is to that. I mean, I have an idea of what the book cost. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to ask you what it but, is because if he doesn't want it, whatever. It doesn't matter. I'm just curious why that was such a big thing, like why that was a issue. I mean, he talked about how many pounds of ink it was in it. No, no, he loved talking about all those things. Um Hard to predict. I, I don't, you know, I don't know, you know, there was nothing nefarious about it. I think he just wasn't comfortable sharing how much he, he might have invested in that. But he's built it into a, a, you know, he's built modernist cuisine into a, you know, he's done subsequent books. Yeah. He's built a publisher around it. It's, 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 a, it's a successful business in its own right. And he invested very, very heavily to do it. I, I can't think of another, having been involved in some high production cookbooks, this was off the charts. And while I think modernist cuisine was, was financially very successful, I don't think he really wanted to share how much he personally had invested uh, to do it. And it's not just creating the book. Remember, he had to, f- you know, he published it as well. So yeah. he had to front all the costs for printing books. And, and you know, it's an expensive book to make. So I, I think it may just be he doesn't really want to talk about the money because he's a wealthy individual and, and that's private. Okay. Yeah. I'm curious. Yeah. Uh, all right. So then uh, at Chef Steps, so the, the interesting thing about Chef Steps is you go from uh, content creation mm-hmm. – to actual hardware manufacturing, yeah. which is kind of a an interesting route. Yeah. So I don't know if you want to say anything about that or. I mean, and 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 the basic idea of it was, so first off, Gabe Newell was was the financial backer uh, and the only backer for 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 Chef Steps. Um, well, I was the original cash in, and then that was not going to get us in, uh, you know anywhere near far enough. And Gabe Gabe came in. And I think Gabe correctly understood the value of YouTube, the value of being able to put your videos online was to find an audience. And one of the challenges most people who've done hardware run into is if you make the hardware, that's not enough. You've got to market it. You've got to distribute it. And like, what's your advantage there? It's, it's more expensive to do that than it is to develop the hardware at the end of the day. Gabe was basically doing the same thing over at Valve, and he was pushing us to invert it on, uh, you know, invert the idea of like the first thing you do is build an audience, build loyalty, build trust, so that when you come out with something, they're all going to buy it. And that was the basic logic. Uh, is so you'd always planned on doing some hardware. Uh, I think there was a little bit of uncertainty for about the first year, but it became very clear that monetizing digital content, you know, wasn't really going to be successful. Um, you're competing against free. Yeah. Free is hard to compete with. Free is very hard to compete with. And I think, you know, Chef Steps, I'm not involved anymore. It's owned by Breville, and they've gone back and tried to monetize the content. It's not obvious to me that it's very successful for them. As you say, God bless. God bless. Um, (laughs) But the the, the point of it was we could see from our content that there was a lot of interest in sous vide. And, you know, there was still a lot of education to be done. And we had the best content, I think, at the time on sous vide cooking. We built up a, a big audience for that. So when we came out with our sous vide device, which... We put a lot of effort into make a, uh, to making an excellent product. We were able to sell it very successfully. Um, that was that was a huge deal. Um, now we were in a, a serious competition with Anova, but there was also all these knockoffs, and it really turned into it was just us and Anova, and there was you know some reasons to choose one or the other. But I think Gabe was fundamentally right of saying you build an audience and then you sell them a product. 
Um, I'm doing a similar thing with my company today. It's why I do YouTube videos still. It's why I'm, I'm creating the content of I can't directly compete for an advertising budget against bigger competitors, but I can build an audience that believes in me and thinks I'm trying to do the best product possible. And to the extent that they believe that's true, hopefully they buy my product. And uh, let me just clarify, your position is that sous vide's a uh, trash can idea. It doesn't work, right? Yeah, no, awful. <laughs> uh, I was, that, was, that was so 2019. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that's something we used to do when we cared about things. I mean, you know, I was, I was I, I, as I said, I saw your brother-in-law before I came here. Wiley and I were talking about, look, you know, back in, in, in 2004, 2005, when we were sort of pioneering a lot of the ideas of sous vide, you know, we were— you know, we were fighting an uphill battle at the time. Everyone thought it was nuts. And now it's just become kind of a thing you do. I was, yeah. in, I was in Cuba on vacation last uh, spring break, and I was at some nice restaurant in Havana, which, you know, a little iffy. But sure enough, they're cooking sous vide in Havana. <laughs> well, the, the barrier is so low, especially yeah. if you're not using the vac, if you're just doing the temperature yeah. control, which is, like I say— is the real point of sous vide yeah. in my Word, Word-wise, I lost that battle in like, oh, when did I lose that battle? Early on with P Press, when did I ever tell you this story? So, mm. so the sous vide supreme, which was neither sous vide nor supreme, yeah, right, was it's just a a, a stagnant water bath. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? When that came out, they were the first kind of mass market thing, right? Yep. So, like my old intern Weepop was Nomiku, which was the first yep. sub thousand dollar, sub eight hundred, sub five hundred dollars. Was unit. it them or Sansur that was first? No, Nomiku. Okay. Anyway, um, point being that. P Press got Philip, that's Philip Press in PolyScience. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got real bent because they were making all this money on sous vide supreme. And so when he did his the first 800 plastic, you know, $800 plastic one, which oh. dropped to five, I think. Yeah, he called it the uh, sous vide professional or something. I was like, come on, dude. Why are you? Because no one, not everyone had called the technique sous vide. And like, I was always upset because here in New York City, if it was called sous vide, the health yeah, department health would come department in and, and bust your head open. And also, it's inaccurate, but lost that battle a long time ago. I now, mean, the technique is sous vide regardless of whether you use a vacuum, which is dumb, dumb, I dumb. mean, I, uh, we had this debate at, at Chef Step circa 2015. And should we call it sous vide? Should it's we, not, though. Yeah, it shouldn't and, be. But. And, 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 and I, as I pointed out, so this is where I'd kind of pragmatically disagree with you, saying we don't have nearly enough marketing dollars to change the conversation on that. Well, you know, but that's why I said at a certain point I lost. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it's called what it's called, yep. even though it's, you know, a bad term for it because it's literally not what it is. You know what I mean? Like, but uh, yeah, you know, when you lose, you lose. Yeah. And and my standpoint is like, well, we shouldn't make it hard for customers to figure out what this yep. is and why they'd want it. I don't think we've lost on dry brining yet. It's salting. No, no, hell no. No, 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 no. This is a, this no, is a blip. This well, is a blip. We're going here already. This is a blip. <laughs> You salt things. So when you when you're when you're at the table and you're like, "Hey, um, I love these scrambled eggs, though, but can I dry brine them a little bit?" No, I'm gonna salt them. I'm gonna salt my eggs. Stupid. So dumb. So dumb. It would make more sense to call brining wet salting. Okay. Neither of them makes sense. There's brining and there's salting. Where, where does where I was going to say where does curing fit into this? Yeah, you can do it either way. Huh. Curing is where well, you're most, well, changing the conformation call... of the proteins in something. Yeah, that's what curing is. You know what I mean? Which it's, dry brining does because the concentration of salt at the surface was really you mean high. Initially. Salting back when oh. people were making hams <laughs> for the past thousand years, they weren't dry brining. 
What do you? Hey, hey, Bubba, what are you doing? I'm assaulting down the hams. Oh, really? You mean you're dry browning them? Pop. No, I'm salting the hams. Should, you know what I mean? It's like. Should we get the question for 20 minutes left? So, <laughs> yeah. Salt. All right. Uh, so we're going to do creamy first. Okay. So have we already discussed? So basically, for those of you that don't, again, don't know, Paco Jet invented this thing. There was uh, the Ninmox, which was an Italian company that tried to get around the patent and made a much inferior. I had one. fake. I used to call it the Faco Jet. I had one. It made a decent product, but this, it didn't work as well as the Paco Jet. Problem with the Paco Jet, aside from the, its extreme cost, what does it cost now? Uh, I don't know what it costs now, but I think it was around $6,000 was the, the original. Sounds like three and change or four? It's a uh, lot. I think it's more than three and I think it's closer to four. Right, and there's, there's Paco Jet not as good too, right? There's Paco Jet and there's Paco they Jet. They came out with a mini, but it wasn't like it's not really mini and it's not really a lot cheaper. It's sort of like why does this thing exist? Yeah. Well, so anyway, made in Switzerland or thereabouts. All the parts inside are are you know not standard because I looked because I used to rip them apart to fix them. It's for all people. very custom. Yeah. Don't. It's so hard to fix. Like I was the guy that I was the New York guy who knew how to fix Paco Jets. Yeah. So like they would all come to me to get fixed. Anyways, so I would try to find belts that I could get standard. Mm-hmm. Anyway, whatever. Uh, hard. Um, so it comes out, and then when their patent runs out, we now have a $300 unit that purports to do the same thing. So Quinn has his perspective on it as a home person. Mm-hmm. And who, you know, Quinn wrote a, a book on ice cream, um, you know, using primarily— please. <laughs> using uh, primarily, like, uh, sorry, family shop, believe, we'll believe that later. Like, uh, using the the things that you freeze, you know what I mean? The freezer canisters, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so then he has the creamy. You might be interested. He only, and he, I'm sure he had to change for creamy, but he'll talk about it. Uh, he he writes all of his specs so that they are uh, scoopable at freezer temp. Mm-hmm. So like high. So really high. So domestic freezer temp, like like 20, he, 20 below. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a lot of sugar. Right, but he's using non-sweet sugar, so they're not uh, they're not let's say waste friendly. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you're going to get the shits and giggles. Yeah. Yeah. But they, no, but he uses a lot of like, wait, wait, why don't you say what you use? You yeah, use a lot of glucose. They're not, um, they're not non-nutritive sweeteners. It's a, a relatively high ratio of dextrose. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, but remember. Okay. So you're, you're just bulking the solids really high. But also remember dextrose has twice the anti-freezing power, roughly twice the anti-freezing power of, of sucrose, sucrose. Yeah. And it's less sweet. So it doesn't take mm-hmm. much dextrose. You could throw a tiny bit of alcohol in there. I think he does that sometimes. Yeah, some of the recipes do. Yeah. yeah. Some of the recipes do. All right. So first question, Quinn, on the creamy, uh, don't you have to make them more standard because it requires it to be a certain hardness to blend right? Yes. I have redone all my specs. Okay. Uh, at least on paper. Mm, okay. And, and I've tested yeah. uh, five, six, seven recipes and also some original ones. Uh, well, so do you prefer the the more standard uh, base made in a, in a creamy that's uh, self uh, tempering, or do you prefer the the Quinn style uh, extra extra dextrose style? Mm, it's hard to say. I think overall you get a better texture with the creamy, but again, I'm coming from a perspective where I try to make pretty bulletproof recipes. So I don't notice a huge difference. Although, like, it's nice because I, I always do an overnight rest for my bases anyways. 
But for this one, the overnight rest is also the overnight freeze. So then you can just spin it in the Ninja. Hmm. And then oh, it's ready. This gives me two uh, points. You know, there was a company who used to make, they still make it, very expensive pasteurized freeze units. I forget the name of the company. Italian company. You seen these? Like mm. large, like, like you know, ice cream freezer, like as, as big as this studio for like, you know, mid-size ice cream joints. Not a continuous freezer batch. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but like, you know, as big as you'd get and still use batch. And um, the like engineer slash owner that I spoke to years ago was, I was like, don't you have to age your ice cream? Why would you want to pasteurize and then freeze right away? Because, you know, theory is you, I guess, build up the, you build up the crystal shape so that you get better yeah, destabilization. You, remember, you, you desorb some you desorb yeah. some proteins off the right. uh, fat, fat he's like, molecules. He's like, no, you either want to do it right away or age. You don't want anything in between. He's like, oh, I go right away. But I don't really know what the science of that is. Someday we got to have Goff on. You Goff ever met him? Uh, I have had email—never in person. I've had some email exchanges with him many years ago because— uh, Cesar Vega, who was one of his yeah. PhD students, uh, did some work with us at the Fat Duck. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. but yeah. but was was he was he good on email? Should we try to get him? Uh, he was. Yeah, he's fine. It's been a, a 12, 15 years. So he's yeah. the one that currently has his name on the Arbuckle book. Yes, I think so. Yeah. yeah, no one even knows Arbuckle ice cream anymore. When we were you know young, that was the book Arbuckle ice cream. Yeah, yeah I think by the time I had that, he had. Goff had his name on it, but so he's the lead author on the book now. Yeah, it's just Goff. Okay, there's there's guess, no Arbuckle. I guess I need to buy a buy a new copy. Yeah. Anywho, um, I don't know where I was going with this. So my my question here then is, uh, oh, get this. You're going to appreciate this. Can I go on a sm- 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 slight tangent? Yeah. Like I can stop you. <laughs> so <clears throat> there's a company now that has a pop-up. Wiley told me about it. Mm-hmm. In Union Square. Get this. Their shtick is, I haven't tasted it. I don't know anything about it. Their shtick is you, they make a microwave coffee roaster that roasts just enough for you to use right now, and you're supposed to use it a la minute. And I was like, I don't understand. Every coffee reference I have ever read says you, can, you should not use, I, I do it actually, but you should not use coffee that you've roasted right away. Like, how could they possibly use this as a selling point? Have you heard about this? Microwave uh, coffee roasting? I, I haven't heard about this. This feels like a question for uh, uh, Jim Hoff- or James Hoffman. Yeah, I'll ask him about it. I don't know if he's tried their stuff. They haven't kickstarted it yet. They're doing this pop-up in Union Square, but then they're using cameras to look at it. But, I mean, microwaves are real hard because once start, something starts, like, uh, once something loses all of its moisture and starts going, but it's going to become a better, it, it's going to throw, it, it seems to me to be an interesting problem. Let's put it that way. I mean, Of getting it to absorb Evenly, Even, ding, and, yeah. and and not get thermal runaway. Right, unless you can somehow make only the steam and smoke absorb, but I don't see how you can do that. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, it seems to me to be a difficult problem. And also, why would I want to, why would, why are you swimming against the stream of everyone wants coffee roasted later? Anyway, whatever, whatever, I digress. So uh, my question, and one, one reason I want to have you two on together to mention the, the creamy stuff is that, um, you know, you've used the, the Paco Jet, and I was speaking to, you know, my buddy, uh, Leo Robichek, and I asked him, are you using the creamy or Paco Jet? He's like, no, we're using the Paco Jet. We just can't trust the creamy in a commercial environment. So in a commercial environment, is it possible, because the price difference is so extreme, to use a creamy, or is it what you think would be advisable? Uh, so so here's the interesting thing, and I kind of wanted to make this comment earlier. Um 
when I took apart the cream, you know, I've taken a Paco Gen apart, and a lot of people make the mistake of equating it's expensive and it's heavy with therefore it's got great parts. Like, no, these are all bespoke made parts. Um, there's, you know, they've over time figured out what's reliable, but it's not a high reliability machine. Um, and the failure points are about the same. When I took apart the creamy, it actually kind of surprised me. I had the impression that, you know, when I went and bought it with my own money, and I think it was actually Nick Kakonis made some comment on, on Twitter about how it couldn't possibly be good at that price. But I'm like, eh, mm. I know a thing or two about mass manufacturing. Yeah. So you're going to make can. a bunch of them. And and this is, a you know, Shark Ninja buys a lot of motors, right, which is the primary thing. And they so they have a lot of engineers with deep motor expertise. The engineering uh, is actually very, very, very good. Um, better than the PacoJet, in my opinion. They made a bunch of interesting technical choices to hit the pricing targets, but it surprised me because I had the expectation of it would be fairly garbagey. And as a result, I ended up going up to like the website for Shark Ninja and just looking at like their job openings and realized they have scaled up their engineering team in four cities massively. And they're putting a lot of interesting stuff out. I imagine it's uneven, but they do good engineering, was my point, and this was a well-thought-through product. It made some serious trade-offs to be approachable for a domestic machine that does that, that could be a factor in a commercial situation. As an example, I would like it if, if the diameter was larger. And the reason is the tip speed of your blade, your blade would be larger diameter and your tip speed would be faster and you would get more shear force. And I find for a lot of times the creamy, I have to spin it twice rather than once, and so that would be annoying. It's smaller than a Paco blade? Uh, it is. But Same. bigger than the Nemox blade, uh, which yeah. was tiny. Yeah, yeah. and, and that, that turned out to be uh, important in, 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 you know, it's, a, it's an appreciable difference. I, I say it in the video, I don't remember, but I think it's like 30% smaller in diameter, so that's pretty massive in terms of what you're, at the, you know, and it runs at a slightly lower RPM. Those two factors together means your tip speed is, like, I think I figured out it was like half as fast. That's a pretty big difference on your shear force. And um, what's its uh, time, to, time to pitcher? Is it similar? No, it's a little, it feeds slower. It depends on the mode. Yeah. Right. But, but you can have three of these. But even in the hot, even in the fast mode, it does feed slower. The milling operation feeds slower than the, the Paco Jet. But the blade, blades made the same way. They're, right. they're both centered stainless steel blades. So uh, uh, another problem I, I have with the Faco Jet. What? Yeah. I would also say that when I've been making, again, my heavily stabilized products, the clearance for the blade and the canister. Could be a little tighter. I get like, you know, a very thin cylinder and the very bottom of the container, sometimes like basically unprocessed. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, I, I find one, the tip speed makes a big difference there. If the blade tip was moving faster, it would rip that material away from the surface. But the other issue is because it's a mm -hmm. plastic container and these are injection molded, they have draft in them. So they're angled, they're not straight sided um, like the Paco Jet ones are, which means the clearance of the blade at the top is large relative to the clearance at the bottom because there's an angle um, to the to the the, the Faco Jet also had a problem yeah. like that but and it was also plastic do they make a, an upgrade stainless that you can they they not that I'm aware of I did see that they have a new version of it out with a different form factor and the the thing inserts kind of at an angle I haven't tried it but um by the way if you're new and you're working in a professional restaurant and you see something that looks like a Bain Marie, and it's got three dimples in the bottom. That's not a Bain Marie. That's Don't a touch it. Canister. Don't touch it. Don't dent it. Yeah. Um, so, so I think I'd say this. Look, I bought mine. I think for around two hundred. They go on sale all the time. 
Paco Jets are really expensive. I can put them on subscribe and save with Amazon. I don't care if I'm going through one or two a week. But here's the thing. The motor's not going to... Like, they did a bunch of interesting things where they separated the drive motor from uh, to use a gearing system and a low-cost DC motor from the... That advances That's the blade the from be the spindle nowadays. motor. That is exactly the way they optimize the motor for different jobs. Whereas PacoJet has some very complex gearing yeah, and clutch. Which is system. a bad idea, and it breaks. And it breaks a lot. So I kind of look at this and go: the, the Ninja is very unlikely to break in a commercial environment. It is inconvenient in that it doesn't process as fast. You sometimes have to spin it twice to get the servable texture. Um, can you live with these? Well, if you can't, I mean, if, look: if you're a Linea, you should have a PacoJet. Probably more than one because they break and you need a backup. Um, if you're a restaurant where you're like, hey, we're going to use this occasionally. It'd be a nice to have. Then get two of them. Then get two of these. Get three of them. It's, it, you know, it's not going to break you. All right. Uh, uh, see, we have some specific questions, but then we got to get into uh, thermo- thermometers. Mm-hmm. Uh, question from William Sabados. Uh, I've been thinking about trying to make creamy versions of aperitif sorbets, Negroni or Amaro-based. I assume the biggest challenge will be to balance the ingredients that depress the freezing point with ones that don't. Perhaps some of the newer zero-proof cocktail ingredients uh, substitutes that have come to market could be useful here. Any guidance would be appreciated. Any, any of you guys experiment with that with that uh, genre? Yeah, okay, mate. Honestly, I just, if you want alcohol, like to use the original ingredients, I basically would not use the creamy. I would use a conventional churn. I agree. Mm-hmm. Okay there. Uh, if, you, if you really want the creamy, then I would, again, I would use like a small amount of the real thing and then substitute with like some sort of non-elk. Yeah. Now here's an idea. Equivalent. You ready for an idea? Here's another idea. Like just make an alcohol fluid gel and then mix it in with the stuff you spin. Boop, done. Okay, uh, you know, make the alcohol fluid gel, get it real cold in your freezer. It's never going to freeze because it's alcohol fluid gel. And just fold it. And just fold it in, baby. Like, uh, you know, that's, and then so it's like swirl. So it's like freaking Negroni swirl. And now you have the best of all the worlds. You have a good texture of freaking ice cream. That's my other criticism of the entire genre of style of machine. I could never solely use this blade driven machine. Because you can only do swirls and mix-ins once. Yep. Unless you want it really mixed in. Uh, Dave Kleiman wants to know, has anyone made Italian ices with the creamy? And if so, what settings do you use? Any special considerations? I I can't say that I have. I love Italian ices. I love them. What do you like about them? Uh, I like going out for Italian ice and you just had a pizza and you're at Libby's in Worcester Square and you wait in line and they hand pack the Italian ice and you choose the two flavors and you just sit there eating it. You know, I didn't have that experience growing up, so I, I just think it's lost on me. I've, yeah. I've had them. Yeah. I, it's never something I would create. Like I would never detour to go, oh, let me let me get that. Yeah. Let me get an Italian ice. No, I, what about, what, about, what about where you have the one scoop of, I'll, I'll be for Quinn, so not to get bent here, like gelato, and then a scoop of Italian ice next to it. So you have the creamy and you have the icy. I just don't love the icy texture. Like, okay. it, it's lost on me. Me neither. Nice. Yeah. Just cold. My, my sorbets are, like, dense, dense. Yeah, see, I'm, 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 I'm on 
team dent sorbet. Dave, they got nothing for you, man. Dave, they, they, these these guys are not going to be helpful for you. I, sorry about that. Uh, Kevin Stadmeyer, uh, finally caught up on her. New question. Got a creamy after hearing the crew talk about it. Does the speed of freezing for the container matter? I.e., is it worth pre-cooling before freezing, or do the blades just annihilate all the ice crystals? I have my guess, but what do you guys think? I don't think it makes much of a I mean, difference. I would say bring it, to, bring it to room temperature. I'll They're say— not like Warming up your freezer. I will say this about uh, that, Paco Jets. And if you fr- there is an issue if you freeze it too fast, you get that little volcano forming in the center, yeah. which you got to chisel down because it causes well, the blade to Well, that's the question. Will that hurt? So, and in Paco Jets, one of the problems is the, the, the things, the containers are so expensive that people would freeze in quart containers and then pop out of quart containers and jam them in. And then it spins. And then it spins. Or if it's off kilter, the blade hits too hard on one side, you can shatter the blade. I've, I have shattered the blade. Yeah. It, it, is, it is bad. Um, the Ninja Creamy appears to do a reasonable amount of software control to say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm getting over torqued. I'm getting out of balance and, and, and shut it down. Um, the Paco Jet, I think, I think any milling style machine is is prone to this. If you're you're advancing a milling blade through, and if the blade gets too much wobble or the material isn't frozen to the side so it can free spin, it's not going to do anything. Well, those dimples in the bottom or the in the FACO, the paddles I have in the bottom are there to stop spin. What do they have in the bottom of the? Creamy? They have they have some molded dimples in the yeah, bottom to stop spin. Yeah. Um, the other issue that you can have now here's the thing in in the. When they first came out with the Paco Jet, the theory was you could just spin the top two servings and then the, leave the rest unspun. In practice, I've never done this. I've only ever spun the whole container. And if you are freezing something that isn't homogenous, you need to worry that you're going to get floaters if you are only going to process a portion at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I've processed portions at the Fat Duck, but it was... Probably homogenous mixtures, not like they were homogenous mixtures. The they were homogenous mixtures, and I don't think it was something I needed to do frequently. I think there was a couple occasions where it didn't make sense to process the whole thing. But generally, yeah, I blitz the whole container. Right, because like one of the things you think you can do is like I'll just throw in whole peppercorns and it's going to blend them up. Yeah, yeah. I, I would probably grind the peppercorns first before mm-hmm. you put them into the mixture, but then they're also going to float all to the top. Yep. And then if you only grind the top, that's a lot of pepper. Or mushrooms or whatever the hell else you're putting into your. By the way, everyone's like, you're going to use it for mousse. No, you're not, right? You're going to. I mean, make- I think for any of those mixins, my strategy always was after blitzing the, the smooth base, put it in a plastic container and do a, and, and fold things in, and then and then do your quenelles, your raw days. Oh, you weren't doing it directly out of the out of the thing. Sometimes. Does anyone I mean, still do that? Is anyone still two spoon hot hot bane? No. That's dead. Well, that's, that's for savages. It's dead. That's for Neanderthals. Yeah, man, but that used to be the thing. Every restaurant, you sit there, boop, boop, scoop, scoopy, scoop. I had one dish that we did that because it had to have three sides. I remember, like, yeah, I had to have, I have perfectly round spoons so oh, I could get the nice little three-sided quenelle. And stab me. It was, stab yeah, me. It, was some, it was a, you know, a tartar sauce. Yeah. You know, it's like, uh, what are some other things that are are, de- are dead? Uh, turned turned vegetables. Yeah, I've seen that coming hey, back, questions. though. I've seen some mushrooms. Okay, questions. I've yeah, seen some right, mushrooms. Right, right. <laughs> Fluted mushrooms. Uh, okay. Uh, this is a slightly this is ice cream, but not uh, this. Uh, I was wondering if you, anyone has sage advice for adding soft serve machine to a restaurant dessert program. I have access to uh, the Stulting uh, F111371, which is their like roughly, I think, seven or eight thousand dollar air cool job, 240. But um, uh, I'm really just keen to hear thoughts on whether or not to attempt to develop our own base or just try uh, to flavor pre made bases. I thought we answered this once. I don't always love the flavor texture of, of traditional pre-mades, but I'm also understanding making your own can be quite challenging. Um, 
any book or human you suggest for a resource? Anything you, you uh, uh, ice cream by Goff uh, yeah. has a section on stabilizing soft serve mixes, and I think that is the challenge of getting. They really need to be hom- homogenized. They need to have a good stabilizing system. It's doable, but I've had the, soft serve has become very trendy in Seattle. I've had a lot of house made soft serve mixes that just melt. I think, you know, one of the things that's nice about it needs to stand up, it needs to stay dry, it needs to not piss all over the, the cone. You can always see a, a homemade base because it just melts down too quickly. But the way around that is not to just include so much air that it's its own insulator. No, no. There's, uh, I think it's usually like calcium sulfate for drying it. And then there's a, a good, you know, I would buy a pre-made stabilizer system unless you really know what you're doing. You know what I've always wanted to like, own? Like Wiley, I guess, has got a stabilizer system. Um, yeah, come on. Of course he does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've always wanted to own a frozen custard machine. I have no reason to own one. But they're mini continuous freezers. They're amazing. Your Ross apartment's is, like a museum, isn't oh it? Oh, my God. I wish I owned one. I don't. I don't. Someday. Someday. If I, you know, ever, you know, whatever. I would buy that before I bought the helicopter. They're only twelve grand. I mean, only. Yeah, what are you going to do with a twelve grand frozen custard machine? You know what Just I mean? Put it in your storage unit in Stanford with all o- the other open, stuff. Open yeah. up a pop-up here at Rockefeller Plaza. Yeah, yeah. Come get your custards. Uh, J-A-H, this is also an old question. I don't know if we answered it. Uh, why, and I didn't look it up, so I hope someone here knows the answer. Why is Stracciatella called Stracciatella? I thought that was cheese in relation to... Because Stracciatella means shredded cloth. So in Italian, it is shredded cloth. It's also curds of... Fresh cheese, and it is also Italian egg drop soup, and it is gelato where it's plain or vanilla suspended with um, shred threads of chocolate. Mm, yeah, mm, shred this. Okay, so this is just a word to confuse non-native speakers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very context dependent. All right, Trafto writes in. Uh, I've done some side-by-side tests of the Paco Jet and Creamy using the same ice cream base at work, and I've noticed a slight iciness on the finish with the Creamy that you don't get in the Paco. You talked about this a little bit. Have you experienced anything similar? If so, how would you troubleshoot a problem like that when developing recipes for the creamy as opposed to uh, Paco Jet? Would you just use more invert sugar? For what is worth, I'm using a light custard base with the usual sugars and stabilizers, glucose, glucose powder, milk powder, xanthan, and guar. I would probably start by getting my solid content up. Oh, by the way, Trafto, I hope you're using flavor-free and anti-flavor-free guar from uh, the TIC gums. But go ahead. I would... uh, Right off the bat, if it's icy, uh, it usually points to low solids for me. And, and yeah, this is one where the slower cutting speed and uh, because it doesn't have as much shear force, the, the sides of the container don't get as, as, as sheared down into smaller particles, and then they get folded in. So you Yeah, get, that's what I'm more worried about. I'm more worried about the chunks coming off before they're – is yeah. that why you double, double that's do? That's why you, I tend to have to do a double How do. hard is it to pop it? How hard is it to pop it, like do a, do a scrape down before you reprocess? I don't even usually have to do a scrape down. I just hit the button twice. So it won't. So in other words, it rips enough off the sides that you're not yeah. going to get some bull crap. And then how much colder, how many more degrees of cool do you need on it to be able to double process it and still have it be servable right away without having to, uh, what's it called, uh, re-temper it back down? Because I know in service, whenever we would double spin Pacos, we would throw them back in the freezer for a while before we started serving out. Mm. You know, I don't think I... I think the uh, temperature drops about... I mean raises? Two degrees... For the actual respin button, because you can do whatever mode you did twice, but then there is also a slightly weaker, faster respin function. Mm. So I think most of my testing, the gelato mode brought things from storage temperature, which is roughly 18 to 20, down to like 12. And then if you respin, 
It brings it down to about 10. What? This is going the wrong direction. I understand. He's warming it. Warming it. Yeah, he's talking. Oh, he's minus, just, he's, minus, he's minus numbers. He's doing yeah. in Celsius. Yeah, he's doing in Celsius. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. No, he's doing it in Fahrenheit. He's just not saying minus 18. Minus. No, he's doing it in Celsius. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. you are? Yeah, so, yeah, okay. Getting all confused. Gotta, yeah. It gets warmer. It gets warmer by two degrees Celsius on the on the fast spin is what you're saying. For a full beaker. On the respin. For a, be, for a full beaker. All right, there you go. I mean, that's, yeah, not, that's not nothing. Paco didn't used to be able to do that. How is this on aeration versus the Paco? Do you still have that fake? Do you have to no, it doesn't inject air, so I think it's better in that regard. I hate the air hose on the I pocket. I hate tip. it. Uh, first it's part thing, of their patent, though. Yeah, well, we, we... So first off, if you ever take the thing apart, that thing's a bacteria. Like, you can't get that clean. The air hose section? Yeah, and, and you can't take it off to clean it with, without being destructive. It is not uh, it is not serviceable without a destructive destruction of a part. Everyone I know used to just jam a bamboo skewer in and snap the skewer off. Oh no! When I bought one uh, Paco Jet off eBay for for that video, and there was tons of shit up in that tube, I'm like, oh, we're blowing through. Like this is this is vile. Yeah. So that hose came right off because that's just a bacterial trap. I think it's a terrible idea. Everybody, yeah. sh- it, nobody should use that on their Paco Jet. And you've jet. been using it on the creamy, and you didn't need it. Uh, creamy doesn't doesn't inject air, and I don't. I I, I never like that moussey, fluffy texture that is, you get from air injection. Is it a sealed? T- the way the Paco is, other than that air hole? I mean, it, it's it's not a hermetic seal, but you're just milling down, so there's not a, a lot of air entrainment action. Right, because if you read the Paco patent, there's a lot about that crap in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was that was key, and I think it's worth a waste of time. All right, so if we have time, which we will not, I'll... Have you ever used a water fryer? No. Okay, then there's... Well, I'll save it for later, then. Okay. All right. Um, if you had used one, you've heard about them, though, right? I've always wanted to try one. Are you... Describe what you're talking about. So what they do is they have an extra deep cold zone so that... Uh, at oh, the, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I, 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 yes, Japanese thing. And they, and they have yeah. an ad where there's goldfish swimming around eating the, the floaty bits that fall down. Yeah, so like someone's like, why does it work? Well, it works. If it wor- I've always wanted to try one. If it works, it's because the cold zone is big enough so that they, the, the water portion is never in the higher than boiling point section. That is how it works. Yep. And if the water were to get to that section, you'd be in deep, deep Deep trouble. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's not. So there you go. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, all right. So let's talk about combustion engineering, your new new, new project. Uh, you know, the reason we want to have on, we only have four minutes to talk about it. But right. uh, um, so I use this thing. It's awesome. So the, you want to give the quick pitch of what, what we're doing here, what it is. And by the way, this is the new charger. If you have the old one, you need to get the new the new charger. You want to talk about what this is? And Yeah. Then, uh, so uh, it's a wireless thermometer. Uh, it's the thinnest on the market. Um, we think it's uh, it's got... That's the cell, thinnest on the market? I'm, I'm getting there, Dave. Right. I'm getting there. Uh, so the big the big differentiator is eight temperature sensors. So we measure the temperature everywhere. Because, you know, you care about the temperature more than just at the center of your food. Because you eat more than just the center of your food. I don't, but yes. Oh, you just, you, you throw everything <laughs> just, else yeah, yeah, away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, that's... I cut the, all the flavor off in just the center. You do you. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the basic idea is... We're measuring the temperature everywhere. We let you see the temperature everywhere, at the surface and the core, everywhere in between. We use all that to feed into our physics engine. We're actually building a full simulation of the food in software on the probe that lets us predict when the food will be done. We are working on being able to predict carryover and barbecue stall because we do actually, we are starting to build in the ability to look at water migration and evaporation in our physics model. The other cool thing we do is because we're measuring the temperature everywhere and we have a lot of processor in that probe, 
Now we're uh, being able to track how much time you've spent at safe cooking temperatures. We're tracking the total pasteurization. So we can tell you when you've achieved a six and a half log or a seven log reduction, if that's important to you, so that you can have juicy chicken or pork chops that aren't cooked to 165, but are still meeting the USDA, FDA level. Now, before we spoke, before we got on air, we were talking about this. And what's interesting, you say, so one of the things that's nice is because it's your company Mm -hmm. and you are somebody that likes to have control of the products, you give people eventually the ability to actually see things that they find interesting, even if they are not the typical user. And this is one of the things I really Yeah, we have an open API. We have a lot of people creating cool stuff with this. Yeah. And so this has how many sensors on it again? Eight. Right. So here's the interesting thing, right? The actual thinking is not buried in the head where you think it is. The thinking is buried where the, where there's going to be moisture. Yeah. We have the, we, there's a, there's about a one and a half inch, a 50 millimeter, sorry, it's a little more than one and a half an inch, 50 millimeter zone where we've got the battery. We have all the, we have a, a full-fledged ARM coprocessor in there, and that's where it's doing all the thinking. And we rely on being inserted in the food and the right. food having enough water to keep it below the boiling point right. of water. Although I had to say, so like, you know, it says all over it, and I haven't tried to abuse it. Um, do not, uh, you know, make sure that that's always inserted in food because that's the one way to kill it, right? If you get it too hot, you can eventually fry the, the electronics. Yeah, in the but I got board. it up. Get this, dude. Uh, I was doing baked potatoes. Yep. So you know how like in a, in a baked potato— if you overcrowd your oven, it's kind of unpredictable how long it's going to take to cook. So I was like, I, you know, I did what I normally do. I wash them, oil them, salt them, jab them. And I went, boop. And you just, sho- the nice thing about this is you just shove it wherever. And as long as yeah, you. Yeah, sharp. <laughs> yeah. As long as you hit anywhere near the center, you're good. Yeah. But um, the potato that I chose split a little bit. And so it got hot into the area mm-hmm. of the probe and it made it up to like hotter than it should have. The probe was fine. Yeah, no. There's there's margins of safety built in there. We've I'm got, not saying you to know, abuse it. Um, you know, we we obviously rate it for 300 Celsius in the upper half, uh, 575 Fahrenheit roughly. There's a margin of safety on that, right? Because flare ups happen. Same with 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 the battery and everything. But now, uh, I know people like to have uh, wires on their thermometer because they love wires coming out of their oven. But yeah. why did you decide that like not to have the wires that everybody loves? No, it's amazing. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's like you shove this in, and you can walk away from it. Yep. And sucker works. Um, and uh, listen. So That's the other thing is we made it really easy to connect, right? Usually you have to go through this pairing process. You have to get no, out. No, you no. don't have to do any of that. There's a kitchen timer. If you don't want every, there is a cool app. But if you don't give a crap about any of that, you can just use the kitchen timer. And it connects out of the box one second. No yeah. hassle. And, uh, you know, stick it to your fridge or whatever. It's what I do. I have it on my fridge. Um, yeah. So the... And this also tells you how much – the nice thing about this or the phone app is it tells you how much battery is left in this so that you don't – It tells you when it gets low. Right. So we when, when, it, when it says, hey, there's low, there's about 90 minutes of battery run right. time left. But so, it only takes uh, 15 minutes for a full charge. It'll last over 30 hours, and, and two minutes will give you like – I think two minutes of charging gives you about four hours. Right, so here's the cool thing, and this is just becoming just a promotional placement. But the cool thing about this uh, new charger, which I haven't used yet, thank you, is that uh, this acts as a Wi-Fi repeater. Or Bluetooth, uh, Bluetooth repeater. repeater. It Bluetooth forms a repeater. mesh network. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Right? So we I mean, we have a battery in there. So, so now I can go inside. I can have my this in my grill. Yep. I can put this on my deck. Yep. And, and then, then you I can, can bring be in the, the kitchen display inside. Yeah. Yep. And nice. they just will figure out the most efficient path to hop and get the data to you. Right. Uh, yeah. So again, like the the cool thing is you stick it in, and after after there's enough of a curve. Right, it which tells is about you, to change. Really, we, we we right now it takes thirty percent before it gives you a prediction. We're about to launch the next phase of our physics engine, which will give you pretty good predictions starting at ten percent. Oh, nice! But here's another thing: if you're a professional, which I know a lot of you listen are, eventually, once they test this, I don't think you kind of glossed over it. Kind of a big deal. So, like, 
everyone's numbers, uh, a lot of people's numbers now are time. You hit a specific temperature target and you're done from a safety perspective, not from a cooking perspective, right? Yeah. So what you're allowing to do is say, actually, no, uh, bacteria don't like they're not healthy, 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 dead. Yep. It is more like, well, individual bacteria are. Right. But like, uh, you know, they you get up to uh, every they start you, dying at 130 Fahrenheit. Right. And then they die faster as you go right. higher. So what you're saying is I can choose a target temperature. It knows from the FDA tables how yep. long it takes to get a certain level of safety. And now it'll do what you said, integrate. We are counting every second at 130, every second at 131, 132. And we will tell you when that, that hit that level. Right. Of so safety. all of the things that I've been doing my whole life, I'm assuming I'm only taking the high temperature that you go to and yep. doing my time integration on that. This is taking as soon as you enter the killing zone, yep. it starts to integrate, which is genius, but get this. So in the real life, the real way people do this when they're professional, professional professionals like industry, is they actually have two numbers, D and Z, that determine uh, for the pathogen of interest, like how much cooking they need to do, right? And you're eventually going to give us control where we can put our own D and Z numbers in. There will be a commercial version, because commercial users have some special needs. They're going to need records. They're going to need to know what the pathogen was. They're going to need to show their health inspector that this is all legit. But we've essentially distilled the 700 pages of the 2022 FDA food code and Annex 2 of the USDA food uh, FSIS guidance, put it in this thermometer so that it's basically saying, look, we will tell you when it's safe. It will be much sooner than you think. Your food meat will still be, couldn't be cooked to a much lower temperature and you're still compliant. So we'll eventually make it possible for commercial users to have all the details and control they want. Is this even sharper than the Mark 1? Uh, we've, we we tweaked the tip a little bit. It's it's about the same sharpness. There's a slight different shape to it. Uh, and uh, this thing that looks like plastic, what is it so people don't worry about uh, that it? That is aluminum oxide ceramic, and it is very scratch-resistant. You can use When that gets all gummed up in your smoker, don't worry about using barkeep for it under stainless steel. You won't scratch it. Do people it dishwash this? You can dishwash it, but if you got burned, it's like you put a, if you put like a Le Creuset and there's like burned yeah. on grease, it's no, not coming off in the dishwasher. No, not ever. Yeah. Mine, mine's are ruined. Mine's are ruined but, anyway. But everything else is, you know, uh, 316L stainless steel. All right. So uh, I also use this when I was doing uh, stuff for my book because I really like the fact that you can use it as a, a multi-probe data logging thermometer. Yep, you log which, all the data. If any of you folks are like recipe developers or cooking nerds, really, you should kind of go get one. So anyway, uh, sorry I couldn't spend more time on tomorrow. We spent so much That's time. That's okay. Go, it go to combustion.inc to learn more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would say uh, from a cooking issues perspective, go ahead and buy one. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Cooking issues.